So welcome to another week of going through the book of Amos. Um, as you probably gathered by the way that that text read, Amos is a hard book. There's a lot of hard things that God says through the prophet Amos to the people of Israel. And in this case, to both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Last week, we talked a great deal about the way that people can be deceived, even deceiving themselves, about who their God is and about what their relationship is to God. And this week, we're going to be dealing with one of, well, the major problems that come from dealing, from having a deluded view of who God is. But the thing is that the, the, the thing I want to talk to you about today, the concept of complacency, the, the, I, I would say sin of complacency, is that it's a mirror image of something. It's actually a mirror image of one of the greatest strengths that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives to us as we live our lives here in the world, namely courage. Just an example, 504 years ago today, on Hallow's Eve, notice the name, Hallow's Eve, the monk Martin Luther nailed on the door of Wittenberg Cathedral 95 theses, 95 things that he had noticed, the church that he had been part of for his entire life, had been preaching that he believed were incorrect. Uh, because he didn't actually quite understand the technology of his time, the propagation of social media, those 95 theses were printed over and over and over again throughout the entirety of Europe. Before long, he had uh, lit a fire that had gone throughout the entirety of Europe and brought about what we now call the Protestant Reformation. A year later, well, a little less than a year later, in May of 1518, Martin Luther was forced to stand before the church. Now, you have to understand the church is a little different in that era than it is now. We're talking about what we would now refer to as the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, its leaders and brokers were actually real secular power brokers as well. He was, he was actually allied in front of a group of people uh, convened by a guy named Frederick the Elector. And on one side were all of the princes, princes of the church. And on, on the other side were all the princes of the state. A hundred years ago, a guy named Jan Hus had faced similar situations and ended up, well, killed. And so he now stood before them they saying that he was a heretic for the things he taught. Namely, that we as believers may be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. As the scriptures tell us, to the glory of God alone. Martin Luther did not recant. Standing in front of a group of people who could, each and every one of them, destroyed his life. 
His answer was clear, if maybe a little scared. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone, since it's well known that they have erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against my conscience. May God help me. Amen. We now know about Martin Luther and his history. He would uh, go on to lead the, what, what became known as the Lutheran Church of Germany. The Reformation would continue, and we are its heirs 504 years later. You see, what Martin Luther had standing before the Diet of Worms was courage. Courage born of the same thing that we honestly should have similar courage about. We have a peace, a peace that passes all understandings, the kind of peace that overwhelms all of the situations that we're in, that deals with all of the problems we can face. But don't believe me on this. Let's look at Scripture. John 16.33, this is Jesus speaking. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. When listing the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Philippians chapter 4 will tell us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This kind of peace, this kind of conviction of the truth of who God is and what God is doing in our lives is what strengthens what we call heroic faith. When we are able to stand against people who would disagree with us, when we are able to love people in the face of all kinds of persecution, when we are able to go ahead and help people who others would not help, it should be strengthened by these facts, by this fact, that he who began a good work in us will carry it through into the completion of the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. That all things work together for the good of those who love and serve him and are called according to his purposes. But there is a problem here. 
at conservative counts, about two billion people on earth claim the name of Christ. Two billion. Yet, when I talk about this kind of heroic faith, I have to admit, I don't feel this in my life most of the time. I don't actually see this a great deal of the time. I, I'm going to say, gonna throw, go out on a limb here. I actually have seen egg examples and evidences of it, even among this congregation at different times, some of them even in the past week. But it's still not something that I think is, well, honestly endemic of what, we, what we're like. It's not something that's generally noted. Those Christians are ready and willing to be able to do the things for God because God has called them. Trusting in God alone, not in their own power and strength. That's not something that people will generally see in our lives. Because instead of the courage of our convictions, I worry sometimes that like the people of Israel in the days of Amos, we've gained the complacency of our convictions. We have turned the great good promises of God, the promises that tell us that we will be safe in the darkest night and in the harshest storm into a promise, well, that we can be comfortable and simply live our lives as, as they are and not really shake the boat at all. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think we're meant to be divisive people or uh, evil people or go out there trying to pick fights with people. William Wallace is not a Christian hero with his blue face going out to pick a fight. You see, there is a problem of complacency that can happen to someone when they believe the truth especially if, like the people of Israel, and sometimes ourselves, we've actually recreated a God in our own image and named him Jesus, instead of trusting the Jesus we see in Scripture, the Jesus who saves us by his grace and tells us about himself by his Holy Spirit. And that's actually the problem you see here in Amos chapter 6. The people of Israel had actually believed the truth. They, they, they did have some idea about what things were true. They understood, as Psalm 41, 1 to 3 will say, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. They probably sang from time to time Psalm 5, 11 and 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Of course, they've missed the central conditions for those promises. Those who consider the poor, those who are righteous. Instead, they had started to become selfish. Look at verses 1 and 4 and 5 of what we've got here. 
It says, woe to you who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. By the way, just notice that. I've told you a lot of times as we've gone through Amos that Amos is usually preaching to the northern kingdom. But here he actually points out the capitals of both the north and the south. Zion is an old name for Jerusalem, and the mountain of Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. These people have now come to feel themselves safe. They believe that in their lands, in the lands that they're in, they're well defended against enemies, and they don't need to worry about people coming against them. They even believe that because God is their God and they believe that they're righteous. And as we talked about last week, they're even looking forward to the day of the Lord because they really believe they're more righteous than other people. They really believe it. And you skip down to verses four and five. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent themselves instruments of music. They're selfish. Notice what's happening here. God has given these people great gifts. They have a land of their own. They have defensible positions in this land of their own. They are wealthy. They're able to take uh, a sheep, a lamb from the flock and be fed and be happy and be blessed. And yet, instead of allowing these gifts to go through them to other people, the gifts are terminating on them because they're selfish. In the midst of the great promises of God and in, of the great situation that God has put them in, they honestly place all of the good gifts as things merely to enjoy themselves, not things to share. Worse, they're actually very self-assured. Look at verse 13. It talks about those who rejoice in Lodabar, who say, have we not... By our own strength, captured Carnaim for ourselves. Notice the by our own strength. They're trusting in their great positions. They're trusting in their great uh, abilities. They may even be trusting in God, but God is doing what, they, what he should do because, you know, God is just fulfilling what God needs to do. We've already done our part. As if that's the relationship we have with God. Worse, they've also become apathetic. Verses two and three. Pass over to Calneh and see, and go from there to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? By the way, that's a warning. Each of those kingdoms, by the time Amos is writing, had already been destroyed. They'd been taken over by other people. And they had, be, they had believed themselves to be great lands. And God is saying, well, <laughs> I've destroyed them. Why wouldn't I destroy you? To Gath of the Philistines, are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put away the day, far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. You see, they've become apathetic because they believe that the problems will never come to them. 
They've put far away from themselves the possibility of God's judgment. They imagine that this will never come to them. Skip down to verse 6. They drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils. But they're not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. They really don't care. They are surrounded by destruction and poverty and difficulties. They see the problems of the kingdoms around them and they don't care because they're fine. They've got their own thing figured out. They are good. So it doesn't matter that Joseph sits in destruction. It doesn't matter that the poor are being subjugated. It doesn't matter that uh, in in their wealth they've been overcoming other peoples. They don't care. They're selfish, they're self-righteous, and they're apathetic. But I told you, peace is a good thing. Having a peace in God is a good thing. Trusting in the protection of the Lord God is good. What's wrong with what's happening here to Israel? To all of Israel. Not the northern kingdom, not the southern kingdom, but all of Israel. What's wrong? Well, let's look at some of the other texts of Scripture that would be important for this. Remember in Genesis 18, God is talking, uh, it's this little section just before he goes up to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their ungodliness. Abraham, the Lord says, while he's thinking about this, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall be, surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Israel, which was, Israel, by the way, is the second name of Abraham's grandson. Israel was meant to be a blessing to the nations. Israel was meant to show the goodness and glory and graciousness and mercy and power and might and strength and goodness of God. And in the midst of that, they had trusted in the good gifts that God had given them, the good powers that God had given them, and now the gifts of God are terminating on the people of God. Remember last week, we talked about how the, uh, God tells the people that they're to let uh, right, justice flow down like mighty waters. They're to let, uh, let uh, righteousness be like mighty streams. And I told you those are things that, that means just stop stopping it. God is giving gifts. Stop standing in front of the gifts. And now in chapter 6, we're seeing how they're standing between the people God desires to see, know him, and the gifts of God. They have just simply accepted them themselves. But they're meant to be a blessing to the nations. Just in case you think that the uh, Genesis 18 thing is a a one-off, Genesis 22 repeats it. 
The angel of the Lord calls to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. By the way, this is after the, uh, that thing with Isaac on the Mount of Moriah. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is in the seashore. And your offspring shall be as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of, your en of his enemies." And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. What were they meant to do? They were meant to be a conduit of God's grace. They were meant to be a conduit of God's goodness to show to the world that God not only was real, but that he loved his people and that you could be his people by trusting in him. And instead of that, they had corrupted justice and righteousness. Look at verse 12. It says, do horses run on rocks? The answer, by the way, is no. Does one plow there, there with oxen? The answer, also no. I live on a very rocky part of, uh, part of paradise. I'll tell you that right now. Plowing in, in rocks is probably a waste of your time at the best of times. Running on it can do damage to your knees. Just saying. But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Again, they, they had had an experience of the righteousness and justice of God, and instead of being themselves then just and righteous to those around them, signs of the blessing of God, instead, because the gifts terminated on them, they used the gifts to be able to oppress others, to think well of themselves as they did it, to imagine that God was on their side as they subjugated other people. And they're going to be surprised when God is mad. Because here's the thing. God really is just. When I say that this morning, when I tell you that God is just, I'm not just giving you words. I'm giving you the words that are true. God really is just just. God really is righteous. And before you get too excited about that, remember, that means he really has a visceral response to our unrighteousness. You think online outrage is bad? Imagine how God feels. Imagine how God is facing the people of Israel at this time. The people of Israel at this time are using his good gifts to actually actively do injustice. They have taken his good gifts and twisted them in such a way as it causes damage to other people. Instead of showing them the glories and goodness and might of God, they're showing the people even worse injustice than the people around them. 
I mean, at least the people around them don't know God. I've used the phrase a couple of times over the last little while that, you know, pagans going to pag. Well, they are. If you don't believe in God, you're probably not going to follow him. I shouldn't be surprised by that. What is surprising is when people who do believe in God act just like the people who don't. That's a problem. That's a very large problem because not only is it injustice, not only is it unrighteousness, it's a big thumping lie. You're telling people that God doesn't love them when he does. You're telling them that God isn't good when he is. So God is mad. And that's why you end up with the verses you do here. And I apologize, I have to read them, they're here. So here goes. Let's gird our loins and, and take it. Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile. And the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord. By the way, that should terrify people. In ancient Near Eastern culture, making a, a claim, making a, a, a swearing of, your, of something means you are going to do it. Come, come hell or high water, it will get done. And the Lord God doesn't just swear by anything we know in the world. He swears by himself. And just a little bit of basic philosophy and theology, when we're talking about the monotheistic God of the Bible, we're talking about the ultimate ground of all reality. Everything in the universe is contingent except for God. Technically speaking, the only thing who can, who, that has to exist is God. And now God is swearing by God, I'm going to destroy you. I abhor the pride of Jacob, and I hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it, and if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And if one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial shall take him up to bring the bones out of his house and say to him, who is in the innermost parts of the house? Is there still anyone in, 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 with him? He shall say no, and he shall say silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. Get the idea here. A peop God is going to be so clear about his punishment, his judgment on the people, that the people will actually regain their fear of the Lord. They will not be willing to mention the name of the Lord because they know what, they'll know what the day of the Lord now means. That time will come. You see, God is not tricked. He's not blind. He actually does know. And he will repay. So many people, when I have discussions with them, ask me, why is, if there is really a God, a good God, why is there so much evil in the world? The story's not over yet. There will come a day when there will be no such thing as an unavenged wrong. 
Remember what God says. Don't, don't take vengeance for yourself. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I know that's hard to hear. It's hard to grasp. I mean, we live in a kind of a rich world. We're, we are the most freakishly wealthy society that has ever existed in all of reality. We are insanely wealthy. I'm going to go after the service, get into a car, turn a key, and drive all the way back to my house, my house, where I'm going to eat lunch, food I have in my fridge. That's insanely wealthy. Not only in the, in the matter of here in the world, can you, can, can you imagine, historically speaking, there are people who are alive today who remember what it's like to be less rich than we are now. Actually, I'm one of them. Because we're so wealthy, though, we imagine that things will always be like this, that we have a right to this, that this stuff is things that we need to be given, that God hasn't been giving us good gifts. And he has. All of our wealth is a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father of Lights. But he does have a reason for it. You see, here's the problem. And here's the problem as I see it for us. We're a lot like Israel. We are. Why is it so hard for us to be heroic in our faith? Why is it so hard for us to live according to the courage of our convictions instead of the complacency of our convictions? Why do we find it so easy to allow the gifts of God to terminate on us? Well, it's because like the people of Israel, we've become selfish and apathetic. We honestly sometimes believe that I worked for this, so this, that's why I got it. It's very easy for us to come to those conclusions. And yet, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. The day of the Lord is coming, but it is not today. Please, God. The day of the Lord is coming. But even now, even now, things can change. You see, we have a similar calling to the people of Israel. Those of us who know Jesus Christ. Those of us who recognize that our righteousness was totally inadequate and that by God's grace, he provided us a righteousness that we couldn't provide and paved for the debt that we, we ran up. We have a simple calling. Look at this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus not for mere, mere blessing and not for mere accepting and not for mere, you know, just coming to church on Sunday and living your life just as you want everywhere else, but for good works. Not just any good works. Good works that God prepared beforehand 
that we might walk in them. Jesus says it himself, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When a scribe asked Jesus what the most important commandment was, Jesus answers, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and the second is, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Why is that so important? Notice the order. There is one command here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And what does that result in? If it's done properly, what does it mean when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? You love your neighbor as yourself. You lose your apathy. Because it's really hard to not care about the person next to you when you recognize the sheer grace that has been shown to you. It's really hard to hate your enemy when the God who was your enemy loved you immensely, hilariously. It's hard to not be generous when you recognize that everything you have, every good gift has been given to you by God. That's what happens. Notice in Matthew 28, when Jesus is giving the, that, that simple passage that tells us our marching orders as Christians for the rest of eternity, well, at least until he comes back, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. See, I think the greatest problem that we as Christians have had, continue to have, and by God's grace, so I pray this is true, this will end, we have so often looked at what God has given us and just enjoyed it as if it wasn't to be shared. So often, we leave the gifts that God gives us and pretend, pretend that they're just for us. I mean, that's true of physical things, but have we thought about the way we do community? I really enjoy the community I have at Calvary Baptist, I really do, which is kind of a weird thing for me to say because if anybody's an introvert, I am but I really enjoy community here. Do you know how many people in this city don't have community right now? It's staggering. Do you know how they can have community? We need to be their friends. 
And I don't mean just so that they can come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and come to church. Though if you really do love them, you will tell them about Jesus Christ and hope that they join good saving Bible community. But no, actually be real friends to people. If anybody is the people who actually says hello to their neighbors, it should be us. If anybody, if anybody cares for the widow and the orphan and the, 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 the strange person that mumbles on the streets while you're walking by, it should be us. If anybody cares about the poor, it should be us. If anybody cares about the rich, it should be us. Not because we're awesome, but because God has given us good gifts. And God has clearly stated that those gifts are not meant to terminate on us. Yes, it does include probably your pocketbooks. It does include giving giving money and food and help to people who need it. But it also means giving love to people who need it. And here's the really hard one. It might even mean telling them about Jesus. Because if anything has blessed us above everything else, it's the fact that we know Jesus Christ. Well, that wasn't meant to be left with us. Jesus was literally telling the truth when he told us that we are meant to go and to make disciples of all nations. And I'm, I'm going to be honest here. Here's the other reason that we avoid doing this. It's because we'll face storms. We'll face problems. We'll face pushback. That's the way it works. If this world were all, if it were easy to do all these things that I'm saying, everybody would already be doing them. If it was easy to love others, Everybody would love each other. The fact that they don't is a sign that it's not easy. In fact, I'll go further. It's going to be a sign that God is among them if they see love. Not the surfacey kind of love that the world wants. You know, just affirm me in whatever I believe. No, the real love that cares deeply for the person that you're talking to. That will suffer for the person that you're talking to that will hug them even as they start punching you. You see, when God, actually I'll put this the easy way, we live in a port city, there's a lot of ships down, down the harbor. There's a very simple reason that ships are built usually with steel, they're usually set so that they can roll very well. They've got things like roll bars on them to keep them from capsizing out in the middle of the ocean. There's a simple reason for that. They're not designed to stay in harbors. If they were just designed to stay in harbors, they would just be big flat barges. No, ships are designed for storms. They're given the gifts that they're given so that they can face the real world. Brothers and sisters, we've been given great gifts. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. Not so that we can just simply sit in a corner and pretend that everything is fine, but so that we can actually go out into the world 
and love our neighbors. And brothers and sisters, make no mistake, this is important. This is very important. Because God really does care about justice. He really does care about mercy. He does care to see his glory made much of to the ends of the earth. It would be in our best interest to not stand in his way. Indeed, it's actually going to be our greatest joy to simply let him work through us. As I said last week, as we see, saw in the text of Amos from last week, we are people designed to bring justice like waters, righteousness like mighty rushing streams, not because of our strength, but because the God who works through us is doing that already. If only we will just get out of the way. Oh, Lord God, I don't know what you're going to do with any message that I preach, but I pray that this has been useful for, your brothers, for my brothers and sisters, for your children here. Lord God, it is so, so easy for us to pretend, to pretend that the storms of life are things that we need to avoid that we just have a right to all of the good things that we have instead of recognizing that you gave us good gifts, that we might give good gifts. That you set us to be your people, that we might love you and love our neighbors well. Oh Lord God, work in our hearts. Bring us to saving faith if we don't have it, but if, for those of us who are in saving faith, I pray that you would renew our desire to see you made much of and in such a way that we are willing to face the, mighty, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that flesh is heir to. Not because we're awesome, but because we want to show you and you really are awesome. So pray in Jesus' holy and precious name.